Welcome back to Queen Conversations. I'm your host, Daquana Farrow. I am so excited about the conversation that's going to happen today, talking to some amazing women that are in education, and I am going to waste no time introducing them. I want you to share this. I want you to like it, uh, invite somebody to have uh, be a part of this conversation because it's going to be great. Um, our first guest today is Latasha Van Cleet. Uh, Latasha has been an educator for over 10 years. Uh, she has spent time as a long-term substitute teacher, full-time Head Start teacher, and homeroom teacher at Trotwood Madison Park. She held a teaching position at uh, DECA Prep and is currently teaching in West Carrollton. She has taught pre-K, first grade, second grade. She thoroughly enjoys and is most confident as a first grade teacher. She enjoys everything about being an educator and is most fulfilled and loves learning through the eyes of her students. Uh, they teach her and inspire her daily. She is married to Ryan and together they have three amazing children, Braylon, RJ, and Gavin, and a German shepherd named Saint. Let's welcome Tasha. Thank you so much, Tasha, for being a part of the show. Um, our next guest is Deborah Howard. Deborah Howard is a native of Dayton, Ohio who understands that successful students become successful adults. Uh, with 20 years of experience in education, Deborah has worked with scholars from elementary to high school. She has held positions as marketing specialist, director of family and community engagement, transition coordinator, dean, assistant principal, and principal. Uh, from honor roll scholars to those who have recently been released from incarceration, she has developed and implemented programs to meet the needs of all. She has a proven track record of nonprofit management through the End Zone Club, Dayton Northwest Weed and Seed, and created and produced the gun violence prevention video and curriculum piece by piece. For 15 years, Deborah Howard transported seventh through 12th grade scholars all over the country during spring break annual black college tour uh, through her nonprofit organization, the End Zone Club. Today, those scholars have entered various professions from physicians, attorneys, entrepreneurs, entertainment producers, educators, chefs, mental health therapists, etc. And some have also been very successful in trade industries such as electricians, carpenters, and mechanics. As an effective communicator, Deborah is known for her practical communication style, transparency, and her ability to keep the audience engaged. Howard has presented at state and national conferences related to education, gun violence, and incarcerated youth. Deborah is the recipient of many awards from the Drum Major of Education Award uh, through the Procter & Gamble Ohio Classic, the Exemplary Service to Youth Award through the Nation of Islam Dayton, the NIA Award for Distinguished Community Service through Sinclair Community College, the Fisk University Award of Excellence through the Miami Valley Fisk Alumni Club, the Giver of the Year Award through So Love, to name a few. Deborah earned her Bachelor's of Science degree in early childhood education from Antioch University. She is the recipient of uh, pre prestigious Bright New Leaders for Ohio Schools Fellowship through the Ohio State University, go Buckeyes, and received her MBA with a concentration in educational leadership. She's a licensed teacher and a school administrator. She currently serves as the building principal of a K through six elementary school in Springfield, Ohio. Deborah is a minister at Restored Life and a member of NCNW, the City of Dayton's Police Reform Committee, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She is married to Stephen Howard, and together they have seven children and seven grandchildren. Let's welcome to the show today, Deborah Howard. So good to see you. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. 
So, and uh, our final guest, last and certainly not least in my book, Lawana Booker. Ms. Lawana Booker is an education consultant who has 30 years of experience in education. During her career, she has been a teacher, principal, curriculum coordinator, director of reading programs, and pre-K through 12 school improvement consultant in two states. Whether she is working with students or sharing her vast knowledge uh, with fellow educators, she is always teaching with the goal of helping others to be better than they were the day before. She believes in learning. One should always take time to reflect, evaluate, and ask more questions to get the highest level of learning. It is through this process that one can gain the greatest prize, and that is wisdom. In utilizing this philosophy, Ms. Booker works with schools and administrators to analyze and evaluate learning systems. She is quite adept at evaluating instructional systems, putting measures into place, which will, clo will close the, uh, which, I'm sorry, which will close the achievement gap. She believes through the use of data, it is possible to diagnose and remediate problems in schools and classrooms. When working with schools, Ms. Booker challenges them to create effective and liable, uh, livable strategic plans that ensure success for all stakeholders. Ms. Booker, Ms. Booker has written and delivered professional development on raising the level of rigor in classrooms. She has trained teachers to utilize the materials they have, align the curriculum and structures with the educational set standards to close the achievement gap. She has served on uh, the PARRC and AIR assessment teams, uh, evaluating and writing test questions for use on state assessments. Uh, Ms. Booker is currently uh, a, uh, starting a new venture with her company, The Education Room. The company will work in the areas of number one, preparing parents to teach the skills for learning uh, for ages zero to three-year-olds. Number two, to write questions that ask when meeting with teachers and principals. Three, what does bias look like in school? Number four, how to have a meaningful conversation that must occur to change the stigma of implicit bias. Conversations that must occur to change the stigma. Uh, and number five, uh, how to evaluate your workplace to determine the level of bias and create a plan to change that. Mrs. Booker, parents who, uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Booker's parents who are both retired educators still instilled in her the importance of lifelong learning and continuous self-improvement. While Mrs. Booker, had, uh, Ms. Booker has no children of her home, she is still mama to all of her past and present students. Let us welcome Luana Booker. So glad to have you today. It certainly is Here's everybody's mom. Including me. Mrs. Booker. Including me. <laughs> all of us. Ms. Booker was my fifth grade teacher. And uh, man, when I tell you she shaped me in so many ways, I, I, I certainly would not be the person I am without having encountered her. And that is, like the kids say, that is no cap. You hear what I'm saying? Thank so you. I'm so glad to have all of you on the show today. I'm so excited. Um, there's so much that I have uh, learned from each of you individually from knowing you, but I really want to bring this get together in a conversation so others can be a part of this. But before we jump into the deep stuff, I got a few questions I want to ask you. I always start the show with a this or that. So I'm starting with a this or that. Cake or pie? Cake or pie? Tasha? Cake. Deborah? My famous pound cake. And, and, and let me tell you about her pound cake. I do not like pound cake. However, Deborah Howard's pound cake is out of sight and I will eat it any day. <laughs> Want a cake or pie? Pie. Pie. Okay. Pecan pie. Pecan. Pecan. Come on, somebody. Uh, okay. So, my next question passenger or driver? Tasha. Passenger. Deborah. Well, it depends on who's driving. I like being the passenger. Luana. I like being the passenger. Oh, I'm the driver. <laughs> that does not surprise me, though, about you. Not at all. <laughs> Honesty or other people's feelings? Tasha. Other people's feelings. That's so That's so you. Deborah. Honesty. Yes. Luana, I don't even need to ask. <laughs> Luana, what's your answer? Honesty. Every time, all the time. Okay. <laughs> TV shows or movies? Tasha. Hmm. Shows. 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 Deborah. Shows. <laughs> a 
good movie. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew she was gonna be on the opposite end of that. I like series. I like yes. series. You like series to follow. Seasons. I like seasons. Keep seasons. it coming. Yeah. Uh huh. And see, I need beginning, middle, end. Get it That's done. It. Let's move to the next one. They gotta have that. They gotta have that lesson plan together, don't they? <laughs> what is the don't need no extended learning? Just get the lesson plan. Get it done. Y'all are such educators. The final one: city or countryside? Tasha. City. <laughs> Deborah, I like the country. You do? Okay. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me either. Luana? Considering I'm from Beckley, West Virginia, and I love sitting out on the back 40 watching the trees move. Country girl. Countryside. <laughs> That's good. Thank y'all so much. Okay. So I want to talk, I want to have this conversation about education. Um, uh, I, I consider you all very successful in the areas that you are working in education, but I want to know why education, what made you into the field of education? We'll start with Tasha. Um, since I was young, I've always just gleaned from helping others. And uh, my first wasn't a job, but I felt like it was more of accountability, responsibility, was watching two twin boys. So I fell in love with like nurturing and teaching and rearing, kind of guiding them. And from that point on, and I'm the oldest grandchild too. So everyone under me is, is the younger one. So I was always put in charge of when we're outside playing or that type of um, responsibility. So it was always teachable moments, you know? So I felt like it was just in me. That was who I was going to become eventually. So that was a segue into education. Fantastic. So when you were playing in the backyard, you were always the teacher. Yeah, but it was like, I liked it more. It wasn't like to me, I thought it was a job. It was more like a purpose. Like right. I thought in that moment, I didn't realize it, but that was a purpose for me. Like I was not the first for no reason. Like I didn't realize that two years on, but like, I was like, okay, I understand my, my position in this family. So it was always a fun time, like teaching them stuff and guiding them. It was like, you know, kind of like that, um, duck mama duck thing you know i'm walking around the yard my little cousin <laughs> following behind yes so got it deborah why education <clears throat> well actually education is kind of like my second career i was in the business world um for about 10 to 15 years prior to coming into education but there was a turning point in 1998 my oldest son went on a black college tour and I thought that Theo was always the class clown and everything. And he wasn't a bad kid. He was just, I, my plan was to send him to the military so he could get some discipline. But when he went on that black college tour and came back, he was a changed young man. And by the time he entered his, was going into his freshman year at Kentucky State, he had, I didn't have to do anything. He completed his own application. He completed all his financial aid paperwork. He did everything. The only thing I had to do was get him there. And so that um, encouraged me to do my first black college tour that following school year. And I fell in love with education and making that light bulb go off and exposing kids to other young people that look like them, that are making it, that are in college, that are doing things that are productive <clears throat> to their communities. And after that, that was just the segue. I, I couldn't let it go. And every year for 15 years, we loaded that bus during spring break and we took off and we just went across the country. And it wasn't just during that that spring break. I had the, the kids in the end zone club the whole entire year. So I started going into the schools and talking to teachers and talking to counselors about my particular kids and what I could do to help them prepare for um, for uh, life after high school because everybody wasn't ready to go to college. And I just fell in love with the education system. And then um, the opportunity came for me to go back to school and get my teaching degree. So that's what I did. And it's been, it's been a joy ever since. That's wonderful. Luana. Well, I didn't start out or want to be an educator because my family is education. I mean, my aunts, my uncles, mom and dad, and growing up in Southern West Virginia with two teachers, the, po the pay was so ridiculously poor. I mean, you know, so thinking about a lifestyle and watching my parents, the fight, the struggle, the time, the energy that they had to give and watching my aunts and everyone go through this, 
Uh, and I thought, there is no way. I am not going in education. There's no money there. There's nothing there. Wow. I am going to be a dietitian. Wow. <laughs> and even did a summer intern at the VA hospital in the area. It was great. And graduated from high school with this is my goal. And uh, it was my sophomore year in college. I ended up working with a group of high school flag girls, Silk Line. Remember those days? The <laughs> girls in the back of the band because I was one in junior high and high school. And at that time, the band director was a good friend of mine. He'll probably watch this video. So I'll give a shout out to Quincy Madison. And Quincy, we were there one day and Quincy looked at me and he said, my gosh, Lawana, children are you. You speak and they just follow you. They, you belong in education. I don't understand why you would think of doing anything else. And it was that, I call it, that was that God moment that God was speaking to say, this is where you belong instead of you deciding what God wanted. <laughs> and I immediately changed. I mean, with my junior year, education, and that was it from that point on. Do not regret, regret it in any way, shape or form. Uh, enjoy the, hey, all of the stories from my parents and my aunts and uncles now it has a totally different meaning mm -hmm. and vision of the struggle That's and just what has happened yet in education. Yes. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the, uh, I, I love, I love how positively and, um, how much uh, joy you all express in the jobs that you have and the things that you do, the careers and the purposes that you for, you are fulfilling. Let's talk about some of the joys of education. Let's talk about some of the joys, some of the moments where you're like, this is why I'm doing this. Like, this is exactly why I went to school. This is exactly why I accepted the pay I accepted, even though I know it wasn't what I deserved. <clears throat> Tell me about some of the joys of your profession um, some of those experiences, if you can call on an experience that said that made you feel like, hey, this is purpose fulfilled. Uh, we'll start with Tasha. Um, the joys. Well, I'm a first grade teacher. I've been in early childhood since the start. Well, I suffer a little bit, but early childhood for the that that's been my consistency. So my joys come from um, meeting a variety of personalities. And it's like, you get such honesty from the littles. Like they say it, they mean it, and there's no apology or anything. I learned so much from like, honesty is clear. That's fine. Clear is kind. Like, all right. Clear is um, kind. Okay, Brene yeah. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I uh, I just find my joys in, and my other one is, we all have different learners. Differentiation is huge in education. So when you have those struggling learners that the light bulb just clicks and in primary is called Christmas magic. Something happens after Christmas break. And You're like, what? This was in you the whole time and you've just been sitting on it. So when they come in and they start, you know, that phonemic awareness comes out and mm -hmm. that uh, just understanding and strategies when it comes to math. And you're like, this is what it's about. And when they get it, because students know when they're when they don't understand. So when they get it and they are so proud of it, it it's it's amazing. It makes me feel fulfilled. Like I see that it's not about just the books, the textbooks, the basils. It's bigger than that. So that is huge for me. And seeing like honestly, my joy comes from when my students that look like me see me in my position, and I hear them saying stuff like. You know, I want to be a teacher when I grow up because Mrs. Van Cleek, it is it is like this is why I'm here to show us in this light, in this platform. This is who I want us to be. We are we are we're powerful. We are we are beyond the the magic. We are we're magical. So when I see that students really come to school and it's bigger, like I said, than their textbook in front of them, it's 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 amazing. It's that's phenomenal. Truly, Deborah, all of that. <laughs> yes, I just all, I saw I saw that. the I saw both of your faces, Luana and Deborah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of that, all of that. Yeah, when you when you see them that and, and they get it, um, especially when you know the struggle, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but but when that moment, when that light bulb goes off, man, I tell you, there's there's nothing like it. Um, but also for me, um, because I've worked with a gambit, I think that some of the most impactful experiences that I had was in an alternative setting where I was responsible for um, <clears throat> students that were coming back that had been incarcerated either through Montgomery County Juvenile Court. Um, some of them had even spent some time in adult prison. They had been bound over at 16 mm. and spent uh, you know, some, some time in, in real life adult prison. And so when they would come back and they would, the program, when, when they would be released, they would come and they would be my responsibility. And I would have to work with them until it was time for them to transition back to their homeschool. And I think for me, some of the, the most inspiring times that, I, that I've had in that environment was when they get it. And not necessarily academic, but they get it about life. And some of the things that they had struggled with before, um, being out in the streets, doing things that was that was not what they should be, should have been doing, and they and they decide to make that turn and they decide to do something different. Um, I had one one young man who just wanted to be a welder. That's all he wanted to do was be a welder. There was no point in me trying to talk to him about college because he was like, I just I just want to weld. That's all I want to do. And I don't know where he got it from. There was nobody in his family. There was no like connection, but that's what he wanted to do. And he worked hard enough. So they had to come back. Typically there, there's such a disconnect between the, the, the justice system and kids in school. They lose so many credits, you know, they're just shift around. It's just a mess. And so when they come back usually into a traditional or alternative school setting, they are very credit deficient. And so to get them to the point where they are catching up with credits, who wants to be in school at 22, 23 years old trying to catch up? So they would fast track them through these programs that required them to have a a particular reading level. And many of them did not have that reading level. So seeing that struggle, but yet they persevered. Yes, they pushed through and finally were able to get the credits in order to either graduate or get a GED and then move on with their lives. And I see many of them now, and I've lost many kids to to either the system or the grade. But when I run into some of them now and they say that that time that they spent with me was their turning point. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to that. Absolutely nothing compares to that. Um, but everything that, that Tasha just spoke of at any time that whether they're littles or whether they're older and you see that light bulb go off about one little thing, you know that you're one step closer to, to making them be, helping them to be successful. Um, I do have some littles, Tasha, <clears throat> and you know, I'm, I'm pre-K six. Um, I have one first grader, Tasha, who calls me Nana Howard. <laughs> Howard, Nana Not Howard. Principal Howard, Nana Howard. Nana Howard. Um, so also, you know, developing those relationships with them and just being able to have conversations and them trusting you to be able to come and talk to you about things that are that's going on in their lives um, and things like that. And then lastly, I'll say this. Um, education is a constantly changing environment for adults. Um, curriculum is always changing. You know, legal expectations are always changing. And so also another highlight for me is to see teachers get it. Um, And when they're able to make that shift from one curriculum to another or from one grade level to another, and it finally kicks in and you you see them start to get in their groove so that they can affect so that they can affect our kids. That's a highlight as well. That's amazing. Luana. Uh, All of what both of them have said, (laughs) because when you're in education, you see it and. I was sitting here trying to think. I was like, well, hey, Latasha did the primary. Deb did the middle. I was like, well, man, I'll swing over to the college and the adult. Hey, and then Deb swung in there. <laughs> so I was like, you know, um, well, you for an example, because you were one of my former students. Absolutely. And when I look to see where my students are, you know, and like Deb said, I've lost many to the grave. And you know that. Absolutely. Uh, we have. And, that has been that tears you apart and rips your heart because as an educator, you wonder and think, 
What did I do? What did I not do? What did I not say? What did I not present? What, you know, what words did I not, not speak uh, into their soul, their spirit to cause this not to happen? Uh, in the same way, I think of my educators and I have a couple and, uh, that, you know, when educators in my late position coming in as a consultant and how things are changing and have changed and you watch that paradigm swing back and forth and it's hard. Uh, and especially in going in certain urban environments and certain suburban environments that our children have moved into and they've got to address the needs, the teachers are somewhat resistant yes. and they will then become hostile towards you. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very open and you have to take that humble road and you have to take that hostility and realize not to personalize it and realize it's a part of the growth. And, you know, growth comes when you are uncomfortable, mm -hmm. when you get complacent, you stay in that same pace, you are comfortable and you can't change. So my job is to push you out of your level of comfort, comfort and change you. And I'll never forget, I was in Cincinnati public working and I had this third grade teacher. She laid me out. And I mean, she walked me up one side and down the other in front of four other teachers. And they all look to see like, oh, this is going to be good. What is she going to say? And you have to remember to take two sides to that. And I, and I smiled and I said, I thank you. Have a good day. Everything's wonderful. And so I sent her a note and I said to her later on, I understand your frustration. Because that's really where her pain was coming from. It was frustration. It was not personal. But it was sent to me because I'm the one delivering the information mm -hmm. and the change that has to occur. So therefore, I have to vent to you and go off on you because you are the one that's here in front of me. And so I told her, I said, understand one thing. I am here to support you. I am here to help you. I am here to guide you. I am here to walk with you. No matter what, I'm here. And so it was, I was in several other buildings a couple of days later, I come back to this particular school and I'm doing my walkthroughs and everything. And she comes out of her classroom. She's like, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I, 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 I was just so wrong. And I said, for what? She said the other day, I said, oh, so you were wrong for being in pain. You were wrong for hurting. You were wrong for being frustrated. I said, I don't see that as a wrong. I see that as being a human being that has to grow. And I said, and that is all of us. I said, I get frustrated. I get it. And I said, you should always have a safe place to vent. And that is my place. So to see them from the babies, when you do see the light come on, to see them as Deb talked about, when you've walked them through the system and you've carried them, and then to see them as educators and leaders and have them to say, thank you. Thank you for yeah. doing what you do is important. Yes. Luana, just for clarity's sake. So what role were you in when you had that encounter with your third grade teacher? I was a school improvement consultant down in Cincinnati Public. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Got it. So Luana tapped into my question. She's ahead of the game. I was going to talk about some of the challenges that you all face. Um, uh, all of you have spent some time both in uh, urban slash intercity uh, environments. It's also uh, some, some suburban uh, schoolings. And you talked about, you talked about, each of you talked about um, the relational piece of uh, developing relationship with these children and becoming familiar with some of their struggles. Uh, how much of that do you all carry with you uh, when you go home? That burden of knowing someone is not being uh, taken care of well at home or knowing uh, that there's a potential of abuse happening or knowing that you know a child may be at a young age taking care of themselves essentially. Um, how much of that do you carry with you and how do you then unpack that for yourself in terms of your self-care? Anybody can jump in at this point. I'll go. Okay. I have the littles and I'm sure um, uh, Miss Deborah, I can't just say Deborah, my mama will get me. Miss um, Deborah, uh, she deals with the position that I usually, after I 
have the conversations with my babies and we talk about an issue that they're encountering or I notice something, she is the, the first person that I would go to because she'd be my principal. So um, it's hard with the, the littles because they're overly honest. So you don't get like a sheltered or a, I know I'm not supposed to be telling you. No this. filter. No, it's, it's this, this, and this. And then and the ones that are more extreme, you will get that because they have been conditioned to either it's their fault or it's what's going on in this house stays on in this house. So you do get a, I kind of encountered both. So I won't just say they, they all just spill out. But just for instance, just from something small, say a little kid is like, don't send me to the clinic knowing they're in pain. They have something like one had a splinter. She didn't want to go to the clinic. Don't send me to the clinic. They're going to get so mad at me if I if you call home and say I'm in the clinic. So, you know, you have to be that buffer. Listen, it's not going to be a phone call home that's negative. We just have to let the parents know what's going on. So that whole burden is different because you sit there and you think, what is going on? You don't want to judge a parent, but you're thinking it's a splinter. She gets a splinter and we tell you about it. Why is she being punished for it? But we all know that's something rooted, deep rooted, deep seated from their past and just generations tend to sometimes evolve and sometimes they just fester into this big ball of just continuous hurt. And then you have the kid that's been beaten and you see it and you go, you know, they went when you touch them, you know, you go by there and you go, what's wrong? Why are you jumping? And the first thing you think as an educator is who's hurting you, but you have to downplay it. Hey, you want to talk out in the hallway and you see that they're purple and black on one side of their body. So you take that home and thanks a lot, Quana. Haven't thought about that student in a year. Mm. <laughs> I'm thinking about him, but you see that happen to them. Mm-hmm. And as a mother, mm-hmm. education goes out the door. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, they want to go. Who did this to you? I'm coming for him. So mm-hmm. it's different. Like, you know, it goes away and it comes. It's waves. You mm. think about them and then you don't. And then um, you come home and you love on your babies. That's what we do. We come home and we teach and we love on ours and we, we pour into them and we nurture them and we love them mm-hmm. and we check on them and we send them text messages. And I have one. I go get them and we hang out. We go to track meets together. And I tell them, you keep acting up. I'm going to come into my house and you know what happens in my house. <laughs> so it's it's different. It's it's so many levels. I can only imagine to that to that because you have the little one that doesn't want to tell her mom they have a splinter, and you have the one who's been beaten up by mom's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Because who knows why? Right, he didn't do his homework fast enough. Yes. So you have you you, you take it. You don't ever internalize it, but you I will hit my knees. I'll walk past mm-hmm. that desk. I'll touch that chair. I'll bring in my oil. I'll anoint that area. Uh-huh. And I'll, I'll speak life into that baby. Yes. That's what I do. Mm. I, give it, I give it to him. Yes. I go on with my headphones on every morning. Music that they already know. My, my colleagues, most of them know I got headphones on. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I started. I started. It's like that. Even if sometimes I'm just I'm doing finishing up some first, you know, last minute morning work. Got my headphones on, and even though I'm not really listening to it, it's 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 being absorbed. Yeah, this yes. is this is what I know I'm going to have to deal with, but I don't know it yet, God. But I know you do, so equip me. So yes. that's what we do for the most part. Yes. Wow, <laughs> every day you do that, and Latasha's pain is like all of us sat here and felt her pain because we all have seen it mm-hmm. and we have lived it, and. I think as African-American women, we will tell our children in a minute, you coming on. Oh, that's yes. You, I find I'll just move you in with me. And uh, and the kids look, you gonna take me home? Yes. And I know when I was teaching, you know, kids would come and stay with me for the weekends because you would know that it's like I need you to learn a normal home environment right i don't need you to have think that the chaos that you live in every day is the way life is supposed to be and so therefore you staying in my home and 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 the things the little things that we take for granted Mm -hmm. when you we just think about uh turning the light on 
Uh, or if you said, you know, they were there and I'm, I would say, well, you know, you want a sandwich, just get the food out the refrigerator. Yeah. Who cares? Mm. And they're looking at you like, I can go in the refrigerator. Can do that. <laughs> I can wow. eat the food in your refrigerator, you know, or we go out to dinner together. And you remember Mr. Johnson, right? Mr. Johnson and I would take kids out and let's go mm -hmm. to dinner. And just to teach them the etiquette of how to go to a restaurant, how to order, how to treat the waitress that's in the restaurant, you know, and what do you say? Different things and the things that children do not understand and parents just are like, hey, hey hands off. And when you can pick someone's child up on the corner mm. and I'm asking, does your mom know I'm picking you up? Uh I haven't seen her. Mm -hmm. And your mind now is like, okay, I need to know before I bring you back on Sunday that your mother's there because you've got this thought running through your mind that you cannot say to them what you are thinking. Where's the mom? And what if something happened? Because you've had that to happen too, where you've lost parents. And I had the situation where we were, a parent died in the home and the kids were in the home with the dead body. Jesus. And you looking at, you know, this is stuff to us. We can't even imagine to think that this would happen mm -hmm. in our circle. And yet every day when we mm -hmm. walk into our school buildings and the different ones, and especially in true urban environments, this is what keeps us connected to our urban environment because we realize we've got to be there. We don't have a choice. We are the voice and we are the fighters every day. We got to be the ones to let our children know we got your back and we will support you and we will help you in any way, shape or form. It does not matter what you bring to the table. We want you to have a better table when you grow up. And that is so important. So literally, yes, I girl, you know, and literally that 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 is exactly what uh Ms. Luana Booker and I mean so many things she taught me, uh so many things she exposed me to. We traveled to Canada together. Um, so many th that was like my first time out of the country ever. So many different things that uh helped me to become the person that I am. Uh Principal Howard, I wanted to come to you. Well, you know, both what Tasha and um, Luana has said is absolutely true um, that we just, we, we carry as much as we can. Um, I have learned over the years that my own mental health, spiritual health, physical health um, is, is also very important. And in order for me to best serve the kids, I have to make sure that I protect that piece of me mm -hmm. that is just for me. Um, so all the things that they said is absolutely true and we carry it and we deal with it and we know all of the things that um, our scholars are experiencing at home, in the community um, and that type of thing. And, and I think for me too, um, we do what we can. You know, we can we do what we can in our realm of influence in the building because that's the only time that we have them, the only time that we can really make an impact um, right now with, with the way that the way that the world is so crazy Mm -hmm. um, we don't get the luxury of, of really taking kids into our home like we used to back in the day and, and going to pick them up and taking them, you know, and just having building an, a relationship outside of the classroom because, you know, at any point you could be penalized for that, right? Mm -hmm. So we have them for that 7.25 hours in the building and we do as much as we can to, to show them that there is somebody in this world that cares for you and loves for you. And then we, and then we send them back home to an environment that maybe they're not safe. And I think that's one of the biggest things that a lot of educators struggled with, with COVID was that knowing that there were kids that were going to be home all day in unsafe environments. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was something that, that I know for my staff really, really struggled with. Um, and so that's one thing, but on top of that, I'm from the mind, you know, and I know that we all are, that you know when you when you know better you do better and so what what my goal is in my current building and unfortunately with covid we weren't able to do that this year was give an opportunity for parents to come in and learn some life skills so that they can be better parents mm -hmm. and not tell them you're a bad parent so like at, at Dayton Leadership Academy Dayton View Academy which Luana 
um, was a principal there once um, that I was a consultant with Dayton View and ended up being director of community and family engagement that we had a parent program where every Saturday parents came in and we talked about parenting skills. We also gave them an opportunity to learn how to get some computer skills so maybe they could get a better job. I don't have food in the refrigerator all the time because I'm making minimum wage and I just Mm -hmm. can't, I I can't stack the refrigerator like that. Um, So things that, you know, some things that the kids are suffering from is not always necessarily a neglectful parent, but because of parent situations that they just, I remember, and I'll make this story really short, raising four children on my own and was getting um, Title 20. And I never never had any other um, public um, assistance <laughs> other than childcare. And my two youngest are 11 months apart. So when my, my when OJ went to first grade, and Candace was left in kindergarten and I had to apply for Title 20, I made about $17 over what I could in order to get assistance. So they cut my Title 20, which meant that I had to pay, I went from like paying a hundred and something dollars a month to wanting to having to pay almost $500 a month because at that time that's when kindergarten was only four hours a day. And so there needed to be, I needed to have daycare for her in the afternoon they would only pay up to four hours and I needed four hours and 45 minutes and anything over four hours was considered full time. So they cut my title 20. It went up, you know, multiple, multiple times. I ended up having to quit my luxury county job and go work in a factory from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. so that I can be there for her when she got off of the bus. And so sometimes it's parent situations that that almost undergird or create some of these situations that we see our young people in and it creates frustration. So when they do come into the building and they're cussing you out, typically it's cause you don't call me 52 times on my job. I work in a factory and you are about to get me fired teacher. Mm-hmm. So they come in frustrated because of that. And so what I like to see happen is that we start, you know, the kids, the kids will be better when their parents get better or, or their, 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 their way of living, um, affords them the ability to to be able to take some of those stresses off. And so what I like to see happen in our building is that we offer opportunities for resume building, for job search. We had a short program last year right before COVID um, hit where we had parents come in and we had employers in the building and we had opportunities for them to sit down with folks that could hire them on the spot um, to help them that way so that they could they could have a, a, a a, a better quality of life that they can provide for themselves and their families. But what, what Tasha said and what Lorana said is absolutely true that um, we have kids that are in some very, very dangerous situations and it's tough turning on and turning off. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I have a 30 minute ride to and a 30 minute uh, ride home in the evening where I can process and everything. So by the time I walk in my house, I've processed, I've, I've put it in its place so that I can be a wife and a mother and a grandmother um, and then processing time to get ready to walk into the building every morning. Mm-hmm. Wow. So so you, you kind of dived into a little bit of the, the impact of COVID and how it, it, it has affected your scholars. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how the educational experience has evolved as a result of the pandemic and some of the things that you, you all see um, as a result of that. Um, Deborah Howard, you kind of spoke to uh, the, the concern about scholars being home all day long, possibly not having lunch, possibly by themselves, uh, possibly you know in dangerous situations where they're being abused. Um, any other thoughts about how the pandemic has affected um, not just the students, though, even teachers and the way that they instruct? Uh, talk, can you can you all talk to that a little bit? I'll just say that I believe Springfield has had has still has the uh, one of the most solid um, reentry COVID plans, reopening plans that I've seen. So we've been in building since August. So we gave, we did a hybrid model. You know, families had the choice. They could either be in building or at home. And most of our scholars are still in the building. I have a small fraction that are still learning at home. 
but we put protocols and I mean, we worked on this, like I didn't get a summer last summer. Like we literally brainstormed all summer long about what this is going to look like before, before the district made the decision on how we were going to enter this school year. And we put protocols in place and expectations and we talked to teachers and we had input from teachers and input from the custodians. Can we do it? Can we keep the building sanitized? Can we keep it clean? What supplies are available? And so when we opened our doors, you know, everybody was like, you know, clutching our pearls. <laughs> we were all clutching our pearls. <laughs> but because of the the uh, runway that we have for planning and putting things absolutely in place, um, we had a really solid plan. Now, it has not been without hiccups and it has not been without, you know, sometimes being a bit challenging. We had we had a few cases but we were able, but because of the protocols and the procedures, we were able to identify the positive case, um, um, contact trace to minimize the effect that it had on the building. And so we we practice. We I do something in the morning uh, for my morning announcements. We play um, the instrumental version of Ice Ice Baby, and it's called <laughs> Mass Mass Safety. So we got. Mask, mask, safety. <laughs> so, you know, when I walk into the classrooms, if I have my mask under my nose, the kids will say, mask, mask, safety, Miss Howard, mask, mask, safety. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things that we have created in the building has kept us um, running fairly smoothly. Again, not without hiccups here and there, but I think that the plan for our district has been really solid. It was tough for our teachers and, you know, everybody, again, was clutching their pearls and kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and we had to learn how to teach differently. We couldn't do small groups anymore. We had our kids, you know, four to five foot, you know, separation, you know, don't get up, only sit at your desk, don't get out a whole bunch of pen and paper, you know, don't share toys, don't share manipulatives. That was tough. Teachers had to learn how to teach a completely different way from when they were taught in college how they've been practicing, you know, teaching their teaching instruction over the years. So that was tough, but, you know, we, we were able to guide them and make that shift. Um, and it, it's been, it's been pretty good at this point. Are we, are we better for it? Yes. I believe so. I believe less is more. And I'm going to just say this. So like, you know, teachers are hoarders and literally hoarders. Like we keep no, everything. We we keep everything. My husband already told me if you don't get that you garage, you, you know, you still have bulletin board uh, de uh, decorations. We're so hoarder. Not just bulletin boards, but we keep every book we've ever I read. I got a whole stack of slates that's been in there for five years. Absolutely. Because we needed to maximize floor space to make sure we had enough room for desks, we had to we had to downsize a lot of that stuff. And we realized that some of that stuff we probably didn't even need. You need it. Probably didn't even need. Well, I'll say for, hey, I'm going to speak for the mature side of the teaching population. <laughs> the mature side. I sit uh, for my teachers who are looking at, they were sitting at that 30 years experience and realize now we're going to a technology age and having to teach. Oh, talking about that moment of learning and to watch them. And, you know, it could go from girl. I got my time in. I can retire. They trying to take me out with this technology stuff, this Zoom thing, and trying to turn this camera around and do all this. And then you want me to type, what's this paradigm? I mean, it is funny. And now to watch them utilize all of the tools and it's like, oh, Paradox. Oh, let me pull it up. Oh, wait a minute. My camera, I got to put my desktop camera on so my students can see me work on this particular thing. So-and-so, are you in Google Classroom? I do not see your work. You did not work it out on there. To see that change for teachers who've got 25 and 30 years yeah. in and they realize that a playlist what you mean a playlist? <laughs> I mean, you want me to go where and do what? Girl, I can go on home. I, you know, but they took it on and now to see them and they're like, you know what? My way of teaching has changed. So, and I always say our growth, our best growth comes when we are challenged and we have no choice. We no longer can stay in a place of complacency. We are uncomfortable. We must choose every day. 
to step into that uncomfortable zone and move ahead. And so therefore, I love it when I see my 25 to 30 year teachers like, girl, I got this now. Oh, so and so you ain't, uh uh-uh, you playing the game. You hit that button telling that you submitted that work. There's no work in there. I can see and I know, and uh -uh, and I'm sending it right back to you. I'm like, yes, I love it. So (laughs) that is my happy point. Hey, we we found out that we've we've got some, I found out that I've got some uh, future, like some of these kids could probably be um, FBI agents um, because they've learned how to hack. Oh my gosh, taking over classrooms. Like, hey, I know one little girl took over and had everyone in the classroom move to hers. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 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 whoa. Third, fourth, and up, they do some stuff. But I'll speak on I the, only imagine. the teacher part. Like Miss um, Howard's a principal. Miss Luana's with the olders. But the, the I'll speak on like the uh, organic part of the COVID protocols. Miss um, Deborah sp- uh, spoke on when I say the things that we do to make sure that our kids are in the classroom. Because honestly, if you're listening right now and you're a parent. We do not like hybrid. We do not like virtual. Do not think, oh, the teachers wanted this. We did not. We accepted hybrid because that was a way to get them in the building. Yes. But we wanted our babies fully in school, but it wasn't the safest thing for the whole gamut. So I will say, you should see the stuff that we do to make sure that your babies stay in that classroom. When I say I have individualized buckets for indoor indoor, classrooms, um, recess because we're in Ohio. So we go to indoor recess pretty fast after the school year starts. I spray down in Lysol every single toy. We purchase from our own money because you know, the district can't give us everything. And mm-hmm. teachers, we are, yes, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I had to get all new toys for um, my indoor recess. And now yeah. I'll speak on the uh, we're wiping down desks, we're buying everything you think of. We, we did it because we want our babies in there. Then I'll speak on the, the parent part of COVID that I feel like is really, really took me out was the parents and my, and my babies. The parents were huge for me because I know as parents, your first priority is to take care and nurture your child. Not that they're not teachers, but that's not a part of their daily role is to teach. So I had so much empathy and sympathy for when parents were forced to become a classroom teacher in their homes. No, their home is not a place for, for that type of setup. So a lot of parents were breaking down, like this is not where I, I want to do. Mm-hmm. My house is supposed to be set up for cooking, cleaning, teaching, nurturing, teachable moments, all that kind of stuff. So I did have such sympathy and empathy. We did have protocols for when things need to be turned in. And I broke everyone from my families because I knew if I worked with them and I showed them and I gave them grace, and, and didn't timestamp everything that I got a better response when it came to producing the work that I needed. And so when my babies came back full time, I do feel like because of their parents supporting me, support them in their home, they were successful. There were some deficits, there were some gaps, but I feel like because we had to work together and bridge that gap between education and, and parents and families, it, it, it was tremendous. And I'll speak on my kids. My my kids struggled because we did all three mod, all three models. We did. We started off um, in person, and then they went out right before Thanksgiving to hybrid on a one day notice. But mm. so our kids were in school, chilling, happy, and got told at the end of the day, "Bye, I won't see you." And they were like sobbing crying. And I, I mean, it was hard because they needed that consistency. Like Miss Deborah said, that 7.25 hours is a place for solace for a lot of them. Yes. So it was hard Definitely. dealing with COVID. I mean, yeah. having them in and out, in and out there some days, there other days, struggling learners, knowing that they're not doing anything three out of the five days, nothing. Yeah. It, it was so taxing on many educators. So our principal was amazing. He had so many things put in place. He made sure protocols and things that made us feel comfortable and safe in the building. He even gave us autonomy. If you feel like a student is a struggling learner, bring them in every day if you need to. So there were, I mean, it was just, 
it was it was an idea. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was such an evolve. Like me now, like creating Google Classroom is like writing in my lesson plan book. Yeah. It's it's nothing. And we were the only um to me field of study I feel like they hadn't evolved. Yes. Doctors, you look at uh O R fifteen, even fifteen years ago to O R now, mm-hmm. it looks completely different. You look at a classroom and some of our books, look at a classroom now, it was minimal, minimal change. You're right. It was like same desk, same setup, same teacher in front of the room. And now with this COVID, I was like, yes, bring it on technology. I mean, I know a school district who ordered ring lights for their for their teachers, you know, hotspots, community, like the community helped our families. They gave us hotspots yep. for our families because there were families sitting at the high school in their vans learning. Yes. Like it was it was such a community. Yeah. Like COVID yeah. pulled us together. It was yeah. a it tore many families apart. It was it wreaked havoc. But it also showed us, like, if we come together, we can do this for our kids. I'm so glad to hear about the adaptability of uh, of, of teachers. I mean, clearly resilient, um, clearly determined. Uh, one thing I can say about teachers, and you all expressed a, a part of it, is how giving you all are. Um, I want to. I want to. We're, we're going to a home stretch now. We're about five minutes out, but I want to. I wanted to uh, take an opportunity for each of you to be able to offer a piece of advice. A piece of advice to um, other educators, um, other uh, aspiring educators, whether they want to be teachers or principals or superintendents. Um, one piece of advice. We're going to ask you to keep it concise, and then we're going to wrap up here. Um, we'll start with Tasha. All right. Um, You ladies have inspired me. I am planning on going back for my master's. Um, I'm not not one to love love learning, but for the greater cause and for me to be reach my maximum potential as an educator, I know it's bigger than me and I want to pour into lives and for the rest of my life. So I do plan on going back for leadership. And listening to you ladies, watching you ladies, I'm like, yes, yes. Like, I can see myself in each one of you. Um, You said, what do I want to give or what advice I would give? I would say, do not go into education if it's not a heart matter. Because now it's not, you're not going into a classroom to teach. It's so much bigger than a um, pulling pulling out paper, pencil, and and solving a problem or learning how to read or... um, doing a science project is so much bigger. So if it's not a heart matter, if you're not in it to help students reach who they are mm-hmm. by being who they are, not trying to change or um, make them into something that you think they should be, don't do it. But if you are, if you're willing to help our future and want a child to be um, successful and reach their, their, their beyond, Run, run into it. We need more teachers that are here because they want to be here. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Tasha. Ms. Luana, piece of advice for somebody inspiring to education. Well, uh, first of all, Latasha, what I will say is uh, you can connect with me. I have a great program through one of the universities that will help you to get your master's and administrative certifications and phenomenal people. And so therefore, get with me. And we can get you on the road. And the woman that you will work with is Iris is phenomenal. And oh, no. yes. The other part, I'll, as I say, I'll, I'm taking the end. God, let Deborah have the middle <laughs> of this. Um, when I'm looking at it and thinking about education right now and the changes that are there, she's right. If you don't have a heart for children, if you don't have a heart for parents, if you don't have a heart for administrators, if you don't have a heart to understand that this is not easy work, this is not a clock in at eight o'clock and clock out at four o'clock, that is not that type of job. You go in knowing that you are there to impact the lives of everyone at all stages. And that includes as teachers, building administrators, you have to sometimes stand in the middle of the storm and stand by yourself. And if you've got to fall, you better understand you fall for the right reason. 
Am I falling for my children? Am I falling for my parents? If I lose my job, God, I lose my job because I know I am doing what you have called me to do. And if you are allowing me to go down, you have something better for me. So you can breathe. Is that the open plate? Somebody. Yeah. Put it in there. Put it in there. In the storm. Donations, donations. Not for the faint of heart. Yes, Luana. You are not going in this. Do not. And if you come my way and you want to play the game of the eight to four, I love you and I will show you the door. Mm. And I don't have a problem with that because I will then, hey, I will help you to see Miss Howard who can connect you with some other fields in other areas. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that mechanic is where you need to be. Maybe you yeah. need to be that brick lacer. Mason, I'm fine with that. You're employed. But do not come in my house and destroy my children. I draw the line on the sand and with that, I'm sorry. I will you sit back over the wall. <laughs> Glory. Shondo. Uh, Deborah Howard, let's wrap it up real quick. We want to bring it real quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> Never have, yeah, I, what, what do you say after these two? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let the words in my mouth. That's only the only thing that I can say for an aspiring educator is know where you fit. So, yes, you do need to have a heart. Um, you can't come into it thinking that you're going to clock in at one time and clock out. At, mm -hmm. This isn't a factory. We're working with humans here, not mm -hmm. not product and, and humans are not product. Um, so but you have to know what your where, where your niche is. So everybody is not for education. I mean, everybody is not for urban education. Right. Some of y'all need to be in suburban um, Appalachian populations. That's where you need to be. You don't need to be in in <laughs> urban school districts. <laughs> you don't. And that's OK, because the educators. <laughs> <laughs> Educators are needed So, you know, urban education may not be your thing because if you came into urban education with the thought that you're going to get your student loans forgiven after so many years, mm -hmm. don't do it. Don't do our kids a disservice like that. No. Mm -mm. Know your population. One of the things that, that Antioch prepared me for is when we, we had to go and explore um, suburban and Appalachian and rural school districts to understand where where we needed to fit. Mm -hmm. I always knew urban was my thing. When mm -hmm. I was in Cincinnati at Mount Washington and 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 kids were it, it was it was a suburban. I was like, mm -hmm. well, I don't even know how to act in this. You know, like I was pushing kids. Like, Why not go fight today? <laughs> I can't. Go get it. I mean, you know, it was just, it was, but it was nice though. I, I love Mount Washington and it really prepared me for my next step. But what I'm saying is that, you know, some people come into urban districts because it's an easy fit. They know that there's always a spot mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. Student loan forgiveness, because if you spend so much time in urban education, your students loan, your student loans will be forgiven. And so once that loan is forgiven, you hit that timeline, you head out to the suburban where, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't even say easier, but it, it's different. It's right. different. Yes. Um, and so what happens is you're just there spending your time as opposed to really trying to impact lives and change the lives of kids. So that's my thing. Know where you, know where you fit. And it's okay if you don't, if you don't fit in urban education, that is absolutely fine. It is, it is fine. It is absolutely fine. But just don't do our kids a disservice by coming in for your own personal gain, your own personal, you know, whatever. Um, right. Do it because you want to be in this in this environment, knowing the challenges that come with working in an urban environment. There's challenges everywhere. Challenges yeah. do not stop when we get into suburban school districts or Appalachian school districts, mm -hmm. or rural school districts. Challenges do not happen. They are different for mm -hmm. the most part. But there's still a number of challenges in those districts as well. Urban urban districts are unique, um, and 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 you just have to know if this is the place where you are supposed to be, so that you can be effective. Amazing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tasha. Off the record, I did not even know about loan forgiveness 
until like two or three years into my teaching. One of my people that took me in was like, if you do it for so many years, you know, you can get, I was like, really? So I will say I went into urban because that was where my heart was. But now where I am now in West Carrollton, it looks more like how I grew up. So I really do like the the diversity I have at West Carrollton. But go ahead. But you know what? And here we go. We're all, I've worked. I understood. I worked in Mount Washington for the one year. Yes. And I was like, <laughs> really? What? Huh? Uh, no, uh, we're Roll Hill. I got to get to Roll Hill. Wait a minute. Uh, oh, no. I got to get to South Avondale. I know where I belong. Yeah. And it's just. And I've had the opportunity then to work and go back and work in McDowell County in West Virginia, the rural think pieces. Rural areas now are suffering. And the same things and pieces that we are seeing in our urban districts, they're happening in our rural areas. And I was getting ready to say, and Daquana, you could probably do another conversation with the three of us or in one other. And agitators, that's what we do. We talk all day. <laughs> and what is happening for our young people and our students? So I just wanted to say thank you, Daquana, for this opportunity. Latasha, it's awesome to meet you. Deb and I go way, way back, like I go with Daquana. So Latasha, it was phenomenal to get playing. And Deb and Daquana, you know y'all, y'all my girls. <laughs> with her with that filter on. Queens, Queens, Queens. Thank you for the conversation. Together, you know? Hey, look at look at they throwing. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I love y'all so much. You. Thank you so much, Ami, for the amazing advice, for the candid conversation. I truly believe that this is going to be an impactful conversation to some other folks. Thank you so much, and absolutely would love to have y'all back on the show. Um, thank you for joining us, ladies. I appreciate you so so much. Thank you for joining me. So everybody, listen, this conversation, uh, I mean, how could you not be touched and moved by it? It's been phenomenal. Um, don't forget to join us next week. We're talking food. It's going to be a Pharaoh foodie fun uh, episode. And I have uh, Baker Candace Stevens. I have Chef Leah Bahan Harris, also the general manager of Gem City Market Dayton Co-op market that is just opening, uh, soon to open. So join us for that. Thank you for joining us for Queen Conversations. Uh, we appreciate you. Come on, ladies, let's join in. Join in. Let's in. My life, faith, and beauty, and so much more.